This is an exclusive presentation of WoWo 1190 AM and 1075 FM, Unholstered. Hey, welcome here to Unholstered. Hopefully you are having a good weekend. My name is Kayla Blakesley, and I'm just one of your hosts here on Unholstered. Good morning, everyone. My name is Sophia Rosales-Gatina. I'm a captain with the Fort Wayne Police Department, and welcome back to the show Unholstered. Sophia, obviously the co-host. Really, Sophia should be called the host, because let's face <laughs> it, you are uh, the voice of credibility to this show, because this show is all about sharing and telling the stories that don't often get told when it comes to law enforcement. Obviously, Sophia represents the law enforcement side, I just represent the uh, trying to share the story side uh, with, with, with my angle of working in the local media uh, for my day job. But we have a friendly face back in the hot seat. Uh, <laughs> you can hear you can hear his laughter already. Um, but he's back because we want to talk about use of force today. Sophia, I know you know it. I know I know it. Um, the topic of use of force has been in the news a lot lately, uh, particularly when it comes to this hot button story in Memphis, Tennessee, which we'll kind of get there. If you don't know the story, don't worry. We'll get into it later. Uh, but so I wanted to visit the topic of conversation today. So what made you bring back our familiar voice for this topic? Well, this topic, I think, came up, obviously, from the things that were going on in Memphis, and then there was uh, another issue in the Carolinas. So I thought it'd just be a nice uh, segment to just touch on real quick. Um, and I brought back uh, someone that we all know um, and my boss, uh, <laughs> Deputy Chief Mitch McKinney. Um, I'll let him introduce himself and why I brought him on here. You'll hear when he introduces himself. Well, thanks for having me back, and uh, I'll correct that. You know, I just work for her, and, uh, <laughs> you know, that's, that's office talk there. But, yeah, you know, I've worked as a trainer in law enforcement for the past 15 years, and part of that time I worked as a use of force instructor, and I keep that type of attitude with the officers that I command now to make sure that I'm watching how they interact with the community and what situations they could find themselves in and we work through those situations before they could potentially occur. Well geez that just surprised me. Sophia didn't even <laughs> tell me that you used to be a, a use of force instructor and I actually do mm -hmm. want to get to the training portion of it but just for sake of conversation so we can all start at square one and be on the same page how is it that when it comes to law enforcement that you actually define use of force what is it well for us it's the amount of force needed to control a situation that is use of force for us and there's situations, there's situational awareness. When we come into a situation, we have to look at that and we use the amount of force needed again to take someone into custody. Like use of force, I mean, via a taser or via, I don't know, I'm throwing someone to the ground. I don't know. I'm thinking of the movies and the TV shows, which maybe I shouldn't. But I guess that's what I imagine when I think use of force. So there's a for use of force continuum, if you will. And that, that's another show within itself, just so you know. <laughs> and there's just levels of resistance that are given to us by a potential suspect. And then we have level of force that we need to match to that hmm. or go one step beyond that to take that person into custody so are there actual levels like one two three four or is that just just truly based off of the your situational circumstances it's just levels we can rise above the level that we see they mm. are based off of low impact like you, me being here with you is actually a level of force i've shown up i'm in a full uniform did i not you say that when you that? actually walked in right? today i said boy you look kind of intimidating today you're in your full-on uh uniform today you know that's that's the first thing it's recognition mm -hmm. and then when we talk about 
I'm t- giving you an order and you are not following that, that's the next level of force. So there's there's something going on there. And that's the part where we really emphasize, especially on our recruit officers, is that this is the time when you have to people well. You have to read people well. You have to talk to people well. You have to look at people and actually listen to what's going on. But sometimes people aren't talking to you, and there's times that we have to do enforcement that we have to put somebody in custody. That's interesting perspective because, of course, when you hear the words use of force, you always think it's something that it's a physical thing, right? But you did just say, and it's I am a perfect example of you walking in here, you're in your uniform, and I said to you, wow, you look kind of intimidating today, but I never even thought of that as kind of a low-level just use of force to some degree, making your presence known, here I am, you know, in my, my full uniform. And I just, I, that's really good perspective for me. I never thought of it that way. I just think of it again as, as something physical, a physical alteration or altercation that happens. Yeah, there's several um, levels, but that officer presence is the first one. So just showing up in uniform, usually for most things that we deal with, right? We don't, we don't rise the level of physical use of force at every call. We just don't. Most of the times it's handled by that just appearance of us in uniform. We are the authority and most people will comply. I mean, 98% of people comply with just that. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we get into the, well, you know, then we have to tell people what to do. (laughs) Not, you know, and and sometimes that's a delicate balance too, right? Because no one likes to be commanded what to do. Sure. We may have to forcefully or say things, but... I think you can do it in a way once you've established a little bit of rapport by just not treating people like dirt. Um, we've seen the we've seen videos where people it treat doesn't people usually poorly. end well, and it doesn't. People people <laughs> just start to reject that. Right, we are all get defensive right away. But if you approach people in a, in a professional way, which we really dictate to our officers that that that's how we want them to approach people in a professional way, then I think we get a lot more compliance from people. Um, like I said before people just want to be seen and heard and as long as you do that normally people will comply well let's elaborate on that you're talking about dictating to your officers you know how to apply use of force mitch you said it which i did not know this about you that you were a use of force trainer at one time walk me through that what's that process like for an officer as they're being trained on use of force so you have to realize when someone comes into a police academy, they're coming from all different walks of life. So it could be someone that worked as a coat check to someone who just came out of college to someone who came from a professional management career and they want to be a police officer. So you have to really walk through a lot of different things with them, including the classroom work. There's hours upon hours of classroom work that goes into before we even walk into, we do a blend of jujitsu and boxing and we've worked those maneuvers together, just how to protect yourself and how to not, for us to get hurt, how not to hurt a suspect. And that's the big part too, Mm -hmm. is, and that's why that jujitsu element is very important because that is a part when you do it correctly, we usually go to the ground to fight on the ground, and I'm very comfortable to fight on the ground. Most people really? don't want to fight on the ground. And when you have that element, we don't even want to go to that way. But you t- keeping distance and timing, talking to people, that's the most important part. And when you put recruit officers in scenarios and you're in a training environment and you see what makes them angry, what makes them fearful, you talk through that. As you're right in the, in the moment in time, when I see your, your jugulars pounding a little bit, what's, what's that about? You know, what did I say? What am I doing to make you this anxious? 
in a training environment where you know I'm a police instructor and you're about to be a police officer. So if we can fix that, then then by the time they graduate the academy, they've, they've controlled that and they understand how the program works. How long is the use of force training? Uh, depends on how long you're a police officer. Oh. It's a required you're, training. You're going through it every year? Or? Every year. Now oh, it's gotcha. like, it used to be two hours a year. Now it's up to four hours a year of continuing education. And we bring them back to our dojo, if you will, to our mat room. And we go over a lot of use of force concepts in the classroom as well. Case we, law. We also have open mat training. So it's a couple days during the week where they have open mat where you can go in and you can get instruction from the use of force um, instructors and everyone else that they bring on to help them. So you see that on the movies, so that is real. <clears throat> that is real. Um, and then we also have officers who go outside the department and train. We have a lot of them that train in, in karate, jiu-jitsu, those kinds of things as well. Um, so it's it's just, I'm going to piggyback on what D.C. McKinney said. He he said, you know, we have to really find their people's triggers. And I've said on the show before, I'm like, we don't know where people come from, mm-hmm. right? And sometimes they don't even know what their triggers are. But maybe it's something that happened in their childhood that they've kind of buried, and then something elicits that. Because I tell you, they, they get they get you in the guts in that academy. They find where your weakness is, and they will poke at that, and poke <laughs> at that, and poke at that. But it's good because it lets you know yeah. what your weakness is and how to fix that. Yeah. Yes. Because what we can't do is lose emotional control, and that's what you see when you see officers get in trouble. Is I'll, I'll use a catchphrase that DC McKinney says. He says, "You they let you let them get you in the guts." Mm-hmm. And that's what happens. And then officers lose control and then bad things happen. So we, we need our officers to maintain emotional control and control that situation. So would you would you argue that's what happens in most cases? Let's just use Memphis, Tennessee as, a, as an example. You had these five police officers. It was a traffic stop that essentially turned deadly. They ended up beating uh, the driver of the vehicle to death. Is that, would you say in a moment they lost they got got hit in the guts that they lost their cool yeah you just try to wrap your head around it and i can't because i i can see you know you can see watch these videos and you can see uh you know and you it's just painful because you know it the is, ramifications yeah. of what another officer does when they do things like this mm-hmm. now i don't know was this personal i have no idea uh it it lo- looked like an emotional loss of control and then it looked like a mob mentality Right. So when one person loses control, then other persons, we see it all the time. You know, you see it at the protests, right, in 2020. Mm -hmm. One person starts that and then one person adds on and then adds on. And then next thing you know, everyone's doing it where most people wouldn't do that on a day to day basis. But with the mob and everybody doing it at the same time, they feel more comfortable doing that. I'd be curious. So do other departments then have to have as much training as others? So you just said it, Mitch, uh, for the Fort Wayne Police Department. Your folks have to have at least four hours of use of force training every year. You've also got some open mat classes, some other availability for folks to get that training. Correct. Is that the same case, let's say, for the Memphis, Tennessee Police Department, or is that is it a different standard everywhere? There's a different standard everywhere, but majority of states do have requirements that they have to take for our driving, for our shooting, for uh, use of force training. Every, every state just has different parameters and what they go through. Ours has worked for us, mm-hmm. you know, to go through. And people people want to get more training in that, you know, but when you're on duty, you can't get as much. That's why, that's, like Sophia said, we seek training outside of the academy because our academy staff's busy Mm -hmm. they're running a class right now they run a class every year sometimes two classes a year to come through as far as academy classes 23 weeks at a time that they're running these classes through and then it's just hard for officers to get all their training inside Mm -hmm. so 
there's so many folks in the community that are very welcoming to us to say, hey, you can come train with my guys and gals, and we'll put you through some classes, minimum cost to us, but they open their gyms to us and say, hey, come on in here. We want to make sure That's you're getting cool. the training. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, we can't do it without the community. That's something, you know, Sophia and I talk about all the time. She mentions training that they that you guys have for all sorts of things. I, of course, never thought of the use of force training, and I'm always like, how do you even do your job? You're not just busy training all the time is what I is what I feel like with all the training that you talk about. Yeah, I go back. I think about it as, as like on the job training a lot of it um, because a lot of it, you know, you, you just learn as you go, mm-hmm. and you you always have more experienced officers working with the less experienced officers, and that you know they critique each other, right? So if, if if a maneuver didn't work, like hey, you know, let's go over that because what you were doing was not working in this situation, so let's try and fix that. And we get we get a lot of that cooperation from our officers, and and I know for the general public, four hours a year doesn't seem like a lot, and and honestly, it probably isn't, but it's what we can do like mm-hmm. i said we cannot spend all our days training because we actually have to have people on the street right. you have to do your you have yeah. to do and your these job are right. indiana law enforcement requirements so every officer in the state of indiana has to comply with this this means those rural uh, departments that it maybe only have a couple people the marshals those kinds of things they only have a couple people how are you going to take them off the street to, to send them to all this training that you think we need so the it's four just, hours it's is probably balance. the happy medium, yeah, at least for the state of Indiana. Yeah, I mean, right. I'd, sure, we'd all like it to be more, but like I said, we just can't spend all our time training. I'm curious, how does then, let, let's take Memphis, Tennessee, also this example, when clearly the use of force that was demonstrated by the officers is not justified, how then is that handled? Or how is it, I guess, determined, first of all, that it wasn't justified? Well, it's in the courts, you know. It became criminal. Mm-hmm. It didn't take long for their chief to realize that there was a criminal act at hand, you know, there. I believe everything that happened uh, in the George Floyd incident has has raised that bar a mm-hmm. bit, right? And that folks are looking at that, and especially leaders are looking at that right now as I need to see what's happening, what happened and why. Mm-hmm. And you look at it. As a use of force instructor, we study those videos and we utilize videos that we see across the nation. We try to recreate those scenarios for our officers. You don't know what you're walking into. You know what you need when you walk into the room, but you don't know what you're going to be presented. And we let it unfold. And so it might be the exact same situation. And we're looking to see, you know, Sophia and I go into the room. I am putting the beat down on this scenario. Is she telling me to get off, get off that person? Mm-hmm. I'll cuff them. That should be the first thing I hear from her. It's like, nope, 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 get off. We got to get them in cuffs. That right there would have saved all seven of those officers mm-hmm. at the point when the one officer had the taser and he was on the ground. No one had handcuffs out. No one was ready to put handcuffs on this individual. So that's when you look at it and say, okay, this falls into a personal range to me. For me, looking at it from my experience as a user force instructor, but we have to have our people, we have to ratchet it back. When we see our people in a situation, we have to say, no, but hey, wrap them up, let's get in the handcuffs, let's pick the person up, let's get them looked at and assessed, get them to the jail. That's what our job is, enforcement. When it gets past that level, 
that's when people get in trouble, mm -hmm. like these officers in Memphis. Yeah, and to take the emotional part out of it, you know, we have policies in place that even in a vehicle pursuit, at the end of that pursuit, the officer that was actually the lead in that pursuit does not transport that person. It has to be someone else. Oh, interesting. Because mm -hmm. the emotions are still up, right? And we just don't want anything bad happening. So we, we switch that off. If you've gotten into an altercation with someone, you are not to transport that person. Another officer will step in and transport that person for you. It makes, I mean, it makes sense. I guess I just mm. needed you to say it out loud because I just didn't realize that, but I think that's a great policy. Yes. It is because it takes place. the emotion out of it. The officer gets the time to decompress away from the person because sometimes those, even when they're caught, people start still talk and man, like I said, they, they, they can smell weakness mm -hmm. and when they smell it, you know, they They'll go get you in the it. guts. Yeah. And yes. they get you in the guts. Exactly we right. don't want yeah. that to happen. That's so exactly then right. I'm, how does this work then? Let, let's, let's just use a traffic stop as an example. And let's say you, it was Sophia who pulled this person open and, and Sophia, you did have to use use of force. Mm -hmm. Um, tackling said driver to the ground, handcuffing them, right? Does then that get reviewed by someone since Sophia did have to use use of force? Absolutely. Or how does that work? We have a use of force form. You have to report your force. And so whatever you use, if you point your, aim your firearm, if you use your taser, if you use your chemical agent, if you use your baton, any force that you use, you have to put on a form and that form goes to internal affairs. So they know exactly what happened. And then we as at the chief level, we get all of those reports come through. So we know who was involved in this past week with anything pertaining to force. So when we look at those, we go through and then we walk through those and look and see what happened through the week. Usually if it's something that's high profile, it's already on the news, mm -hmm. right? It's yeah. already there and we sure. know, but it's good for us to see. And I like to see that those lists are super small. I was just gonna ask, how long are you those know, lists? They're not yeah. usually long, but yeah. you know, it depends. If there's five of us at her traffic stop and five of us were involved, we're all five doing a report on that. So then that's the review. And then we don't know if someone's going to come back and make a complaint on our department. We want that paperwork right there and know. And plus they have body cams they have to dump. They have their in-car camera they have to dump, you know, and they put that into the system. And so once they dump that into the system, then internal affairs, they have that, they know all the evidence that we need to support is, is already in the system and ready to be reviewed or passed on as need be. So when Sophia files that she had to use uh, to use use of force in this case tackling the driver to the ground, does she do you have do they have to report their justification for it or Oh yeah, she'll write a report. Has to write a full report. What she did, showed up, what happened, boom, you know, beginning and why to we end. did it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. beginning to end. Yep. Do you ever Commonly. Because there's charges for that, right? Right. If I if that that's that's resisting law enforcement. If I have to put my hands on you and fight you, you're resisting me. Oh yeah, good point. So that, that be, is a criminal yeah. charge. So that would be on a probable cause affidavit. I would have to explain the circumstances of why that happened. Okay. So that's another layer to to this. Um, there's a criminal side to this. As talk well. about paperwork. Geez. It is yeah. a lot of paperwork. And yeah. I think you, what we always talk about TV, they don't do, you know, they always like someone shoots someone and they're back on the street the next day. Uh, it's absolutely not, not how it what happens. You know, there's a, interviews and paperwork and reports and, you know, we have to go back and do things. We have a shooting team that comes out and reviews everything. We have internal affairs investigation. State police has an investigation. So there's all these things working um, to figure out what happened. And then we present what our findings, whether they're good or bad, um, to the public. Well, that's just it. So, so obviously, Mitch, you're the deputy chief. And let's say something comes across 
your desk or in this list that looks stinky, that doesn't smell right in terms of use of force, what do you do with that? How do you decide to proceed with something like that? So that is with our internal affairs. They handle all of that. So Would you pass it off to them then? They actually give that to me. Oh, they give it to Mm -hmm. you. Oh, okay. Yes, yes. They give that to me. So they will let me know. And really, we're not part of that investigation at all unless I was there. You know, they would come to me with a disposition after the fact. But when it comes to the in-between part of that, I don't have to mess with that at all because it's already been written. It's already been looked at. Hmm. It's already been run through policy and procedure, rules and regulations. And they found interpretation to application, there's a problem. And so somewhere in the middle, they have to figure that out. And then they do the interviews with the officer. If it was a complaint externally from a community member, they'll do an interview with the community member and they put all that together. Then they present it to the chief and the chief is the one that makes the decisions on how that's going to go forward. That's interesting to hear because at least uh, as it pertains to the Memphis, Tennessee story, so many people are calling for the chief, the deputy chief, like everyone to be fired and investigated and looked into. But if I'm understanding correctly, and I'm not saying that this necessarily applies to Memphis, but in most situations, the deputy chief, the chief really has no clue. It's just being brought to their attention by internal affairs. Correct. And the frontline supervisor is the one that's going to make that all happen at the, at the street huh. level. The frontline supervisor, those sergeants are the most important element of our department because they are the first line to that street-level officer, and then they will push everything forward that needs to go. So this idea of just simply charging everyone involved is is actually quite silly. In terms of like Memphis, for example, right now, could be quite silly if really half of them had weren't involved at all. It's just, again, coming across maybe their deputy chief's desk at this in this form of a list. Well, for them, they're, they're, they're all on video, so... Yeah, I mean, well, yeah, in the, in the seven, you know, yes, I mean, yes. Right yeah, but I think you're talking about, like, making the deputy chief resign Correct. and the chief resign yes. over over something that their officers did. Yeah, I don't I don't know what the what the climate is there. This is repeated behavior. It's something, something that went unchecked for a long period of time. I have mm-hmm. no idea. Um, but, you know, it, it stops at the top, right? Mm-hmm. You're responsible for the culture of your department. If you allow the small things... To gut let if you let those go over and over and over, the only thing that's going to happen is worse things. Yeah. So you have to really be on top of that as as the chief, and you have to make sure you know their your culture understands what you expect of them. Man, I have more and more respect for Chief Reed as we do this show too, because that is one job I would not want to have. I would hate having that. I feel like pressure all the time. Even as a police officer, I just feel like there's so much pressure to do it right and get it right every single time. What would you say to people? I'd love to hear both of you on this. What would you say to someone who thinks, you know, use of force isn't necessary or physical use of force isn't necessary? What would you say to that person? I would say to that person, then that sounds like that police departments aren't needed, that everybody's perfect. There is no crime. Everybody's going to be nice to each other. There's never going to be anything we need to respond to. You know, it's such a far reaching mindset to come through when I teach still and I ask people who controls the fight the suspect or the officer and nine times out of ten they'll say the officer Mm -hmm. and I'll stand them up and I'll say turn around and I'll pull out my handcuffs I say put your hands behind your back and they do it and I don't cuff them I simulate it I said now If you would do that every time an officer says something, is there a fight? Is there a need for any other, anything else off my bat belt? There's not. 
you understand that I gave you a lawful order and I'm putting you into custody. But what happens is the human action is that someone is like, I'm not going, maybe a third strike, then they'll go and know they're going back to prison for a while and the fight's on. Mm. So the physicality of our job is based off of the person that we're dealing with. I just think, you know, I wish we live in a world like that. I wish we lived in a world where police weren't nece necessary mm -hmm. at all, but we don't. The reality of the situation is, is there's always going to be people preying on other people. And it's great that it never happened to you. I'm yeah. happy for you. But there's a lot of people out here that want us, that need us, and expect us to do our jobs. And I expect our officers to do it professionally and within policies and procedures. And it's pretty simple, I think, um, if you're looking at it straightforwardly. Um, and as D.C. McKinney said, we don't control the fight. The suspect does. Yeah. At any time, they can comply. And we will do exactly the minimum of what we need to do to get you in custody. That's also really good perspective. I would have failed that question in training when you asked me. I would have said the officer controls it. And, <laughs> and, and I, would, I would like to think that, but you bring up a really valid point. Like, I think that's, again, wildly good perspective. Right. I would not have passed that test. We're coming near the end. What stats did you bring in, Sophia? Well, I don't have stats compiled for this year or for 2022 yet because we haven't finished our year-end report. But I just want to let people know, um, in 2019, we had 670 physical uses of force um, that our officers put paperwork in on. In 2020, it was 746, and in 2021, it was a 744. Okay. So that's where we are. And, and when you're looking at a, at a scheme of 130 to 140,000 calls for service, 744, 746, and 670 don't seem like an awful No, lot. I don't think so either when you said those numbers. Yeah. I was actually kind of surprised. Yeah. So like when I said 99% or 98% of people comply with just our physical yeah. presence, this stat backs that up. We're here for you. It's one of those things, if things aren't going right with our department and you, we want to know about it. And there's a way you can go on fwpd.org. You can report that, you know, and we'd love to talk to anybody who they say that we're not treating them right. And Mitch means that when he says it. I hope people know that about him. I know that about you. You mm -hmm. mean it. You will talk to everyone or anyone about anything and right. that's pretty remarkable we're, we're lucky to have you people like you and well, Sophia you. that are willing to do it. that yeah and I will say I'll add on to that is that and if you do not make that complaint and you go and you just talk about it but don't complain to the to us about it you're condoning that behavior Amen. and that behavior will continue mm -hmm. until someone comes forward and makes that complaint so if you feel you've been unjustly treated or you know any in any way by one of our officers we want to know and there's a process for that and you can find that on fwpd.org. Sophia, what's coming up next weekend? Ooh, good question. I don't know. I think I have some things in my mind, but I've got to secure We've got so people. many things, I feel like, in the hopper that I know we've got know, guests all over the place. Every time we talk place. about something, something else comes up. I'm like, ooh, yeah, we need to do that. Well, if you've missed any previous episodes of Unholstered, we've had some good ones lately. You can download them anywhere. You can download a podcast. Just search for Unholstered. Uh, Deputy Chief Mitch McKinney, thanks for coming back in. Every time you come in, people always say, hey, if the whole policing thing doesn't work for him, he's got a career in radio because of your voice. <laughs> <laughs> the best docile tones ever. This is your town, your team, your topics. This is Unholstered. Thanks for listening to Unholstered. Be sure to subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you listen. And remember, you can listen every Saturday morning at 1030 on WoWo 1190 and 107.5 FM.
podcast by Federated Media.